We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to do a mailbag pod. A couple of uh, notes before we get started. A lot of you guys asked about uh, personnel moves. And it's good to know everyone's mind is kind of moving more toward next season rather than the season that the Lakers just finished, at least even with the NBA playoffs going on. And a few of the questions that you guys asked were like, hey, we're going to do a whole pod on that. So if we don't address it in this pod, it's a topic that we'll probably cover in even more depth rather than just a a singular question. Also, as you know, Mike and I can't discuss specific players on other teams that are under contract. And, uh, you know, a lot of your guys' questions were of that ilk. We will get to that and, and more of those types of questions um, in the way that we can when when we can. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start transitioning more toward the future, what, what's going on with the Lakers uh, and what's coming up. But today we've uh, got a few questions and we're going to have some help from our wonderful producer, Jeannie. So Jeannie, who's our first question from? Hi, guys. The first question is from Sean Davis, who asks... Does it pain you to see that the team we were up on 2-1 to one and seemed cruising to a series win is now the favorite to win it all? Not really a question, but feels gutting and just such a lost season for what could have been. Yeah, I guess there are a couple of ways to look at this. First of all, hello, Jeannie. Um, nice to be on the air quote with you here. I uh, I would say that the validation is a, is a certain way to look at this, where I think we all felt like the Lakers were the favorite uh, to win and barring what we saw from the Nets and how healthy they got uh, when healthy once AD got back once they got up in the series that was apparent I do think they were going to go on and win it so to see Phoenix continuing to play this well does show you a little something I think just about the Lakers and the fact that despite not having any continuity despite all of the injuries despite LeBron not being 100% they still likely had enough to beat the team um, that as you said is now favored to get to the NBA finals and we'll see what happens uh, when they if if and when they get there uh, with what's going on in the East right now. So, yeah, Pete, I, I think this gets back to the – you can answer this as somebody who grew up a Laker fan, that there is never a satisfaction just with winning the title the year before. 
that it's always the next year and any any season that doesn't end in victory um, is one where these feelings. So I am here. I am going to acknowledge these feelings and not dismiss them. <laughs> kick, it over, <laughs> kick it over to you. Hey, man, I'm irritated on a basketball level, right, in that you can't reach the greatest heights of basketball without the greatest basketball players. With as well as Phoenix has been playing, they've avoided Anthony Davis and Jamal Murray and now Kawhi Leonard. Let me put this through the lens of the guys who are still playing and who are doing amazing things. Kevin Durant in that series uh, against Milwaukee, there are so many shots. And how many shots did we see from Kobe over the years like this where you're like, are you fucking kidding me with that shot? Like, I can't believe he made that shot. And Trey, you know, was wonderful against Milwaukee's drop coverages uh, uh, <laughs> and and all of that, right? There, there are guys still playing that can do incredible things. I just feel like we're missing about half of them. And I feel like we're down to like the fourth most talented team in the NBA, that that's what this is a battle over uh, to, to win the title. And again, there's no asterisks or anything. This season, Darius was more about survival than any other. But I do find myself basketball irritated that teams are able to get to this point and perhaps beyond without facing, you know, two absolute superstars, which is usually what you need to beat by the time you get to the conference finals. I mean, I agree, but only to a certain extent. I definitely feel disappointment as a Lakers fan. And I think Mike's point about validation is a good one. I'd also point out that if the Suns end up winning the championship, there's no shame in losing to the team in the playoffs that ended up winning the championship, even if it's not the best version of yourself. Like there was a certain amount of validation I took in 2011 when the Lakers got steamrolled by the Mavs and then the Mavs ended up steamrolling everyone. Like they ended up doing the same thing they did to the Lakers, to everyone, even Mm -hmm. those juggernaut heat, right? Mm -hmm. The heatles with LeBron and Wade and Bosch. There is a part of me that feels like, ah, but in hindsight on the Lakers tells me that there was a fragility there with the team in terms of the injury stuff. And it would have been great to beat Phoenix. Is there any guarantee that the Lakers hold up against the Nuggets? Is there any guarantee that, like, in the same way that you've seen stars go down and go down and go down at each level of of the playoffs now, if the Lakers are in the conference finals, I wonder, are they healthy now? Are they able to sort of maintain, right? And so all the questions we have about this team and all the sort of, like, wistfulness like I still have that some. This I would just summarize this also by saying this is part of that whole bubble tax thing we've talked about. And thank goodness the Lakers actually won a championship last year. Because what would have been really tough is they went through all that and somehow didn't win for whatever reason. And then came back and still had that physical toll uh, that was exacted yeah. in the bubble. So um, I almost look at this like a two-year window. They got one championship out of it. Uh, would it have been great if they somehow found a way to stay healthy through that? Yes, but I think it would have been totally unreasonable to expect that. And it's just a little bit tough to swallow when your caliber of play is not why you lose. It's due to injury. So, yes, to answer the question, yes, it is tough, tough to watch. Who do we got next, Jenny? The next question is from Seattle Laker fans who asks, any thoughts on the Lakers using their pick to fit a need on the team? Yeah, this is a. it's been a couple of years, guys, since we... Talon's the last guy he's going into his third year hopefully he comes back uh, as a Laker next season but we kind of passed on the 2020 draft which uh, was a difficult one to scout I know right with the pandemic and all of the the ways that 
player evaluation normally works. I've talked to a few people that that do this, and it's just a totally weird year the way it was for everybody else. I would like us. We we had a lot of. Uh, we had a lot of success with the Larry Nance juniors, Mike and the Josh Hart's and those kind of later four year type of guys. I would like us to inject a little bit of young blood into what we do, even if it's to help eat innings during the season. Although that always comes with the caveat of if that pick is valuable for a more ready now type of player, obviously that's going to be on the table, but sign me up for making an actual draft pick this year. Yeah, this is a, this is a situation like in really any draft, but the Lakers could use this pick as a, a way to combine with one of their current players, one of their current contracts as, as a sweetener, essentially, to get an upgrade at a position. And that is one thing, and it always just depends on what the player is. And, of course, we can't tell you that until we know what the players are. So we'll table that for now. And I will say that picking 22nd with the success the Lakers have had with some of the guys Pete mentioned, and whether that's Nance or Kuzma or Hart or even in the early second round with Zubats or moving further into the second round with Clarkson and Thomas THG. Bryant, mm-hmm. Thomas Bryant, right? They, like they, this is Jesse Buss and the director of scouting assistant GM and his staff uh, in uh, with Rob Polinka. They do a really good job identifying talent just in general. And I think that if that, if that's something where you can get a guy that you like more at 22, clearly Darius, uh, then you can at 28. So, I am not an expert by any means on the depth of this draft. I've heard it's pretty good. So there's probably a player that can fit the kind of things they want. But is it a player that is for a team that's this ready made to win? You know, this is this is where you get into that philosophical debate. Do you get a guy there like you did with THT, but he didn't cost as much and he didn't have as much value when he was drafted because he was drafted 46th as this number 22nd spot does, which is going to be uh, on draft day, right? And then in that summer, which is going to be something that's uh, appealing to a lot of folks around the league. So they, they've got a real decision there as to what they want to do with this is it, in terms of a player versus adding to the roster in a different way with that. Yeah, so I go back to the idea that Pete's raised a lot in recent pods about viewing things through the prism of the playoffs. And I think, Pete, the point you made about eating innings during the regular season, I think that that's an important one. I also think, though, that there there's a balance to be struck about how much you give a young player during the regular season, how much that is built into the idea of what you're building towards in terms of trying to be a championship team. And then when the playoffs come, how much all that work you put in during the regular season then does not translate to a guy who's likely not going to play during the playoffs unless there's a crazy need. We saw that this season with Talon, right? Talon got a lot of minutes during the regular season and come playoff time, it was too high of a level of basketball for, yeah. for him for the most part, right? So that's going to that's gonna happen. And I look at a guy like Maxi, for example, from Philly, right? Maxi came in and swung a playoff game. Like... And Mm -hmm. that was super important, but he did that on what ended up being like a flawed contender, right? A team that went out during the second round. And so like, I'm all for building for the future and you want young guys who can develop into potentially a star, right? Or at least a role player on a championship caliber team. The investment in that player though is likely multi-year. And I think like like all things, LeBron, so much of this is going to depend on LeBron's window 
and how good this player can actually be in year two and year three, right? And, and I, I'd be happy to keep the pick. I'd also be happy to trade it. Like, like it just, I want the best nine to 10 man rotation that the Lakers can, can have. And if that includes the 22nd pick in this year's draft, great. If it doesn't, then go get me someone who can be a part of that rotation. Cause that's where my focus is really. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's, a lot to be said for investing everything we can now into the now, meaning that this upcoming season, we don't know how long LeBron's window is. And as we learned this year, right, championship opportunities require some luck. Championships are hard to win. And we are in a place where we can very much win one next season. And so any decisions that are more geared toward long term than short term can seem a little bit off. But I do think that that plays into a strength of our organization and can help be sustainable. Even if like we just draft a guy who's really good at 22, all of a sudden that guy becomes really intriguing in trade proposals that might be helpful for us at the trade deadline. One argument for keeping this pick, though, is that the Lakers owe draft capital out because of the AD trade. And so the their inability to sort of stock their cupboard some with back end cheap players right on rookie scale deals is going to be limited based off of the draft capital that they're going to be giving back out to New Orleans. This is one of their only picks that they'll actually control over the next several years. And so that sort of shifts things in the idea of, hey, maybe we should keep this pick because next year's is going out and then New Orleans can swap or then New Orleans gets another one. So it's something to keep your eyes on around that idea too. It's it's a good point. And the only other thing that adds to this is which is which is a bit of a counterweight is that the Lakers can typically sign if if you've got the roster with LeBron and AD, et cetera, they can sign West Matthews and Marcus All types, right? Uh, to those roster spots that a rookie might go in that a lot of other teams can't. Uh, and therefore they sort of have to take that bet on talent developing. So they do have a bit of a luxury here compared to a lot of franchises where they can kind of go about either way. Who do you got next, Jeannie? I think this next question is special for Mike from Solomon Smith. What's the most underappreciated Lakers title team and why is it the 0809 Lakers? <laughs> <laughs> I love the answering of the own question there. And that, of course, was my first year uh, covering the team coming out from Minnesota the prior year. I'm sure that Pete and Darius could give you a, a better historical answer or at least one that would be a contender for that one. But I do uh, – that one will always be special to me. I think I may have selected that as my favorite just for my own personal experiences through it, uh, which, are, which are certainly heavy with bias. But the, way, the, way, the place that I'll focus just for this question for you is that it was the first one that Kobe led uh, by himself. And I don't mean by himself, of course. He got help from everybody. But he was the one that pulled Pow and pulled Lamar and pulled Bynum and everybody else down that roster through that uh, with the mindset, with the mentality, with the night to night attack, uh, with the his pursuit of greatness in the regular season. And he had Derek Fisher to help. He had Phil Jackson to help. But that was the Kobe uh, year for me. And especially just kind of considering these last couple of years and what we've all gone through and and all of the kind of pain and emotion associated with that, to me, that even it even makes it stand out a little bit more. So I'm I'm assigning a lot of that to Kobe, and that's uh, going to have a, always going to have a very special place. I've said this before. I love all the Lakers championships the same. Right? They're like all my children, right? And so I could pick out any of the historical ones, like 
the one title that Jerry West won. Like some of these ones that are sort of forgotten to history because of the more glamorous like Showtime titles. But I'm going to take a different perspective on this. And I don't mean this among Lakers fans, but I mean this more sort of on the sort of national perspective. I think last year's title is one that there's going to be a lot of debate around between like insiders and outside perspective. Like, mm-hmm. I think the people who went through it and who were around the team um, and sort of understands the the hardships of what and that tax that they had to pay in order to win that championship. I think that this one will probably rank up very high for those people. But I think that there's a lot of sort of casuals, so to speak, that will look at the 2019-2020 title as that sort of asterisk title, Pete, the one that does not count the same, the one that was one in a bubble after four months off and didn't require the same rigor that you see in sort of a normal NBA season. And I think that those two things sort of come to a head a little bit. And there's always going to be, I think, a larger portion of the population that looks at that title differently and does not hold it up as high as a bunch of other people. And that may happen every year because of injuries and, oh, well, and there's always people who are going to denounce. I just feel like last year's title is that's true for more people than what it is normally. So, so I would just mention that here. I think that when we look back in it, at it in 10, 20 years, that the 2020 title could very much end up being one of those underrated titles for exactly that reason. The one pushback I give, though, is that the idea that it didn't have the same rigor. No, it didn't have the same rigor, but tell those dudes who were there for 90 plus days that it wasn't rigorous, right? And I would argue that having four months off before the playoffs, especially juxtaposed with this season, that's as healthy as the league has ever been going into the playoffs. That's not saying that everybody played or that nobody got hurt in the playoffs. But in terms of everybody rested up, everybody had time to prepare. It was a neutral court environment. You're telling me that us yeah. earning home court advantage the entire season and then not getting it at all, that that was advantageous to us? Come on, man. And so it's, of course, the 2020, if you're going to put an asterisk by it, it's only to say this was a different type of championship. But yeah. I will never agree with or never uh, be okay with the idea that it wasn't hard and that it wasn't comparably difficult to win this title as others. You're making my point that like, that's the argument that I think all of us would make. Right. right? I just think that there's every year, I feel like not every year, but historically you're probably going, going to find a handful of titles, like, like the lockout year title like the 50 game season one, right? Like the 99 title that the Spurs won. And historically, you're going to find some other titles where it's just like, oh, well, this dude got hurt or this team was out early. Or, That's the and game. All, that is the game. I'm just saying that the population of people, I feel like maybe I'm too online when it comes to this. <laughs> sure, sure. But I feel like there's a lot of people who are sort of just like, ah, the Mickey Mouse ring. Like, oh, you and your little bubble championship. And I'm just saying that segment of the population is bigger. The group of detractors, I feel like, is bigger than in any normal year. And that's my only point when it comes to underrated versus properly rated. It is, but the biggest reason for that is that it's the Lakers that won it, it, right? Is that, of of course, like, we're the team that 
everybody else didn't want to win it. So, of course, they're going to disparage it in whatever way possible. We have people laughing at us for winning the title in 2010 because Kobe went six for 24 from the field, right? Like that was the headline for Bill Simmons. And that was a running gag. It was him making fun of us beating his team for years because Kobe didn't shoot the ball efficiently. Anyway, with respect to 2009, just a real quick note on, on that one. To me, that's another one of those two-year windows like you were talking about with last season and this season, Mike, in that we had a very unexpected title run in 2008. That was the year that began with Kobe saying, I'll rather play on Pluto than be here. And so ending up in the finals, beginning at that place and ending up in the finals with a team that we didn't expect to, Bynum was great, had a breakout year, gets hurt. We trade for Powell four days later. And if you listen to Kobe and Powell and Fish and some of the other guys from that 09 team, they talked about carrying forward their work into the summer. And that's why I consider it like a two-year type of window is they built off of that in ways that they that helped them. They won 65 games in 2009, and they got pushed to seven games by a, a Houston team that was a, a difficult matchup for us. But by and large, that was a relatively stress-free title run, as stress-free as they get. So yeah, yeah. that's definitely an all-time underrated team. And that was a weird asterisk games, like seven game series too, because they won games five and seven by a combined like 80 points. So we were way better than them. It was, yeah, 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 it was, it was one of those weird things. And Kobe wasn't really thrilled about the team approach to the, uh, the every other day game in that one. And I always like to say for the record, whenever, whenever anybody brings up Kobe six for 24, um, I just like to list these following stats, Ray Allen, three for 14, Paul Pierce, five for 15, Meta world peace, seven for 18, Nobody that was playing defense at that level and had, and had battled in that series was shooting the ball efficiently, okay? It was not Kobe. All of those guys' field goal percentage is basically identical. So get off him. Thank you. How many rebounds did Kevin Garnett have, Mike? <laughs> uh, KG is one of the few guys that shot the ball well. He was 8 for 13 from the field, but the answer is uh, 3. Darius, he had 3 yeah. rebounds because Kobe was getting them all. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Kobe and and Powell and Bynum, because I think Powell had 16 boards, and I think half of them were on the offensive glass, something like that. So anyway, uh, 18, let's take yeah, a quick, 18 boards, nine offensive rebounds. Yep. 18, yeah, right. Hmm. I knew you had like half a nine offensive boards. That's crazy. All right. It, nice seeing uh, Powell Gasol out physical Kevin Garnett. I, I always – I did an athletic article on on that where, yeah, that was quite nice to, to get into that. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll answer more of your questions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Jeannie, who do we have next? The next question we have is from Dakota. Which role player from a previous championship roster would you like to see on the current team? 2010 Meta, 2002 Robert Ori, etc. I got one. 1987 Michael Thompson. Now, look, is this a biased pick just so that we can interview him after every game? Yes. But that dude could play too. He was a number one pick. He was a banger. Um, I I don't know about the whole spreading the floor thing. He would be more of like a, you know, that he wasn't really a shooter, but maybe that's something that could evolve uh, into his game. Maybe maybe there's some sort of thing like, okay, well, wait, how did Clay get like that if Michael didn't have that inherent talent? And maybe, <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe if Michael – so I want to kind of explore the real shooting genesis uh, of Clay Thompson into his father and also just for biased reasons so we get to hear him talk all the time. So that's my answer. It's Michael Thompson. I'm sticking to it. Mike, we got to have Michael on the show and have a Thompson and Trudell reunion. Darius and I can just sit back and listen to you guys uh, do your thing. Yeah, that'd be great to have Michael on the show one of these days. Uh, Darius, do you have a, a former role player? Oh, man. So there are so many choices. So I'm going to give you a tie, right? Because we're talking about this era. So give me 2009 playoff Trevor Ariza, 3 and D wing, can guard point guards, could guard small forwards, could guard shooting guards. Could hit the three ball, great in transition. I think that dude would fit in perfect on this version of the Lakers. Also, a tie between him and 1982 Bob McAdoo, right? Mm -hmm. Give me like a former hot pick, stretch big, could play inside, could play outside. There are so many great Laker role players, though. This is a topic I'd love to get into on a future pod, just sort of talking about all of these dudes who contributed to so many great Lakers teams. But if we're strictly talking about dudes who translate to the 2020s, give me those two guys and I'll be good. Those are those are great choices. Mine would be 2001 Derek Fisher. I thought we needed a guard that wasn't afraid to take a shot that would be, you know, aggressive in doing so and could defend a bit on the other end. Fish is a guy I have a love I had at the time during his career, a love-hate relationship with Derek Fisher. But Lord knows we needed a one of the great things about him was that he would wave Kobe off and that he had no fear or hesitation into stepping into that shot, stepping into that big three. And I feel like we needed a guard that was comfortable with that. So he'd be my choice. All right, Jeannie, I think we got one more. Yes, we have one more. The last one is from Adam Wall. One of my dad's best friends gave me an autographed copy of Red Auerbach's autobiography when I was a kid. What is my duty to do with it as a Laker fan? Hey, I think <laughs> I think he should donate it to the nearest nursing home in hopes that one of the few people alive to remember those times can find it and it brings them joy and happy memories because it may as well be a, a book of a work of fiction 
to anybody younger than that. So I think donate it to your local nursing home. Shocking that Pete uh, went for, straight for the jugular on that one, Darius. Um, <laughs> yes. I, you know, I, I, that's, that, that was, uh, that, who was, who sent that Jeannie? That was Adam Wall. Yeah. Adam. So just a nice little alley-oop to Pete uh, from Adam. I think, I think, I think we can just Thank let you, that Adam. rest. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't know <laughs> Red Auerbach. So here's the, so I'm going to take a contrarian position here. Mm-hmm. All right. There are there are certain people in the history of the league who have a certain stature. And I'm going to respect those people. Right? Oh, like Bill Russell? Like, yeah, yes. Like Bill Russell. How many? Right? Do, how much of those royalties went to Bill Russell? That's who deserves them. Hey, that's who deserves them. Did you? This is a tangent here because the tweet got deleted. Did y'all see? that Jay Williams tweet that he ended up deleting yesterday. (laughs) Like ML Carr, Casey Jones. We grew up with Casey Jones, right? All those finals. Casey Jones was the dude on the bench across from them. Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers. That wasn't even that long ago. Anyway. And Bill Russell. Only the first. Mm -hmm. Only the first. (laughs) He was hacked. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. He was hacked. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, Auerbach is one of those historical NBA figures. And I'm just going to say good on Red, right? And good on Phil for passing Red in in all-time wins and then firing up the cigar, like, in his tribute to Petty Pete. Like, let (laughs) me light up this cigar (laughs) as I pass Red Auerbach and all the championships he won in a 16-league Right where they played the same teams over and over again, all of those great championships that he won. <laughs> My goodness, Red Auerbach, use it as an ashtray for your cigar. I have a feeling Mike is going to be more uh, diplomatic than the two of us. No, I just had so I. My boys are six now, and they're playing in baseball tournaments, and their coach is from Boston, and his wife mm-hmm. uh, is is from. Uh, California from Oxnard and like uh, big family of Laker fans. And so, you know, they were, they were talking about like the year they met was 2010. And so I had to, it, it, we were over at a dinner the other night and basically had to go through the whole part of what we discussed earlier about how, you know, if Kendrick Perkins, this and the way oh, Kobe Lord. shot the ball. And so I just got off of that conversation. I've had it many times over the years, but, and I did, I did have to invoke, one of Pete's favorite themes and just kind of ask the open-ended question about championships since the eighties. And so that's the, that's the most current refrain. I think in that whole conversation that the Lakers have managed to keep themselves um, to this level of relevance and success, despite that little blip that we had a few years back with all of the lottery picks and such, but going back into basketball history, Pete's right. I, I am not here to stomp, uh, on Red Auerbach, uh, but I don't think it always has to be in context uh, with the Lakers either. So I, I just the 2010 stuff is the quickest way to get me defensive about what actually happened that year and Doc Rivers and the whole Kendrick thing. And yeah, that that's always the one that's going to make me clap back quickly. That was kind of a harbinger for future Doc Rivers playoff exits in terms of blaming and finger pointing and and such things. So. Look, Arbach's one of – he's rightfully, in some ways, rightfully 
exalted as as one of the greats. He was one of the pioneers of of the NBA fast break. To me, though, the whole and this could be a whole other <laughs> rant or even entire show that a lot of people got a lot of credit for a long time for Bill Russell's brilliance. For what goes back to Bill Russell's brilliance. A lot of people would have been forgotten if not for Bill Russell. And the way that they treated him is a big part of the extra level of petty that I have for them, right? Like if you there was a I saw this this year, guys. There was a survey of like the greatest Boston athlete of all time. And one of the guys who's always won that historically is Ted Williams. And I'm like, Bill Russell won you 11 championships. Guys, could you imagine if somebody won the Lakers 11 championships? It would be, we wouldn't have a statue. The whole, like, the facade of Staples Center would be made out of that person. And so the idea that Bill Russell cannot win a poll of the greatest Boston athletes of all time after winning 11 titles? Are you kidding me? The entire stadium would be the statue, Pete. It would be. That's right. Like. It would be the yeah, biggest. It'd be Bill Russell be, Center. The entire- yeah, welcome to Bill Russell Center. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. The relativity pushback is the is how few teams there were in the league, right? That's one. And, and even if you compare it to Major League Baseball at the time, which was just a much bigger sport. And so, therefore, Definitely it was never harder. Won a title at all. Yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm not disagreeing that Russell should clearly be there, but I will say that 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 the relationship between him and some of the Boston fans uh, has been rightfully pointed out to be terrible right over the years and all the racism that Bill Russell had to endure and the fact that how he still feels about that city. But it does seem that the Celtics themselves and Red Auerbach in particular did uplift Bill Russell. Uh, and you know what I mean? And so that's, that that's part goes, does go to Red Auerbach. And, and I, I'm not necessarily giving him credit for scouting him and picking him. Like he was obviously this amazing player that won the national title um, in San Francisco, but, but by then also having him be the player coach, and, you know, sort of vaulting him into that kind of position. So the Celtics do get credit for that, at least internally. They seem to treat Bill Russell um, the right way and to recognize his greatness, to recognize his brilliance, where that didn't always seem to, to be the case in the city. Too bad we don't have another question. That was too much Celtics talk right at the end of our podcast. Just 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 too much. I have so much petty, so much unused petty because of how these playoffs went that the little opportunities, I have to take them. So donate that to the nursing home. Uh, Thank you. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for your great questions. A few of them are going to be actually full-blown topics in the next couple of weeks. And we'll be back next week to talk Lakers and NBA playoffs. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five.
Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.